Well, hello, I'm Adrian Russell, and I'd like to thank you for kicking it with the Russells, where we discuss family culture, the ties that bind, and how that gets us to where we want to go. I'm your host, Adrian Russell, and I'm so glad you joined us. This is a Russell Family Podcast. And as we record, you'll be introduced to different members of the family and their perspectives as we move through the different topics and subject matter. Today, I'm joined by my two co-hosts and mainstays of the podcast. Uh, please introduce yourselves. Russell. Yeah, and Gwen is my mother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is just, thank you yeah. for adding and... that. Oh, and you, sir? Sorry, this sounded like if, if you could hear what a medium exclamation point sounds like, that summed it up perfectly. But <laughs> my name is Alex Russell, and I am Adrian's cousin. Nice, nice. Okay, so now we're all acquainted with each other. Um, so today's topic is surviving tough times. I know the phrase tough times is a relative phrase. You know, we all experience hardship differently. Um, and again, the context, you know, might matter because, you know, maybe 100 years ago, you might run into a, you know, well, I mean, these days people get bullied, right? And they might be bullied by someone they never see on the internet and it can still affect them. But 100 years ago, someone could get bullied by like the Ku Klux Klan or something like, and that's a different form of bullying. Um, but still, like we all experience hardship differently. So I think what I want to, a question that I just want to open up to you guys. I just want to know, um, what do you, when you hear the phrase tough time, like what does that mean to you? And how does, I guess, context really matter into that event? Okay, so I'm starting um, since I'm the oldest. Uh, tough times is relative. Um, but I think that everybody agrees that it's when life is just not going your way and um, you don't have enough. You don't have enough strength. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough perseverance or patience or health or wealth. You know, it's, it's when things are bad mm. and you don't just recognize it. Other people recognize it as well. Hmm. Okay. And what kind of, um, like, because I think things are bad is kind of general, but I mean, I mean, I lose $20, you know, on the street, that's bad. But like, what's, I mean, does it, I guess I'm trying to really get to the, the heart of like, what like counts as like an inconvenience versus a tough time, though. Like, well, Alex, what do you say? Well, I'm going, I completely agree with you and that it is relative because there have been people that I've met where, you know, you just kind of get that intuition. I think all of us, at least in our family, have that, or at least it's, it's stronger. And you go, this person, I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm going to go check on this person over here. They're going to be a complete stranger. Then they start talking to you, and you, they tell you how their day was, and you go, hmm, that's got you like this? Well, you know, to each his own. Mm -hmm. But I would say a tough time... If I could paint the picture, I would say a tough time is like feeling like you're stuck in a room with no windows or doors. Mm -hmm. Sort of like now with COVID, 
um, I think um, this is the epitome uh, of a tough time. And I think for some people, uh, especially if you have the virus, this is tougher than, than others. So like I said, it's relative um, the way it affects you. But um, I think there's a universal um, worldwide agreement that these are some tough times. And for people who are economically and health challenged, it's, it's tougher than others because uh, you can't get what you feel you need to survive. Mm. Uh, you can't get enough air. You can't get enough health care. Um, you can't get access to the things that are going to allow you to survive uh, emotionally, physically, or mentally. Uh, mm. Okay. I mean, that makes sense to me. Um, I think... To me, the most immediate thing I could recall in school, actually, I talked about it earlier, just bullying. I think in school, I think we all go through different types of like bullying or hazing. And I think that's just how American culture, how we socialize is through bullying. But I don't know. I think, well, I still am kind of sensitive. But back then I was real sensitive. So, uh, you know, you kind of take some of that stuff to heart. And, you know, to speak to your metaphor, Alex, it does feel like, you know, you're in a room without like any outlet because you feel like you're, you feel alone, I guess, in it. So then I guess, you know, people cope with that in different ways. And I don't know, I think for myself, I, I just had to, I had like different outlets to like sports or, you know, video games or just other stuff to take my mind off of like, you know you know, people who were just giving me a hard time for the good of the game, you know? So it's like, I, I, I was, I took it kind of to heart and I guess it definitely, you know, affects you as an adult, like, but you know, every now and then you'll think, why didn't I get invited to that party or whatever? Yeah, um, I remember that. Um, but see, when you're young, I don't think you have the resiliency or the um, internal controls or or you know uh, yeah yeah what what you need to really deal with that so it's always good to have somebody to talk to um when i was young i remember those feelings and um i was really thin and you know people um call you names and um also i i wasn't even aware that there were racial problems because we were kind of insulated even though I, I was born into a segregated society. Well, I, and, I don't want to, I don't want to date you, you know, but <laughs> I like, can date myself. <laughs> right. Like what's, what's, what's the time frame that you're for those well, who might not know? <laughs> I was born in the fifties, grew up in the sixties and came of age in the seventies uh, with the me generation. So I'm definitely a baby boomer, but I'm an integration baby too. Cause uh, I started out in a segregated school, and then we went through the integration, and I was like the only child on the bus for the whole year, and the only nobody, child, the only black child, excuse oh, me, black not, child. Gotcha. <laughs> not the only child, but a, nobody, yeah. nobody would look. I mean, nobody would have anything to do with me. They would not sit with me. They would not talk to me. Um, they made rhymes up about my race, and they would throw paper at me. Uh, and I and I felt sorry for them, which yeah. is really strange. But well, that's it's very zen of you, I guess, because it's kind of hard not to want to lash out, you know, at people who. Well, to pick at I you. I kind of did. I, I would throw the paper back 
I, I just pick up the ball of paper and would throw it back, just throw it back to the back of the bus and didn't even look. And I, I know I heard some girl yell. She said, what the? And then she said, you know, like, oh, okay. And so eventually, because they didn't get, I guess, what they wanted, they stopped throwing the paper at me and they stopped making up rhymes because I, I never responded other than that. Hmm. Okay. So, uh, Alex. I thought that was a tough time. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> before I move on to Alex, I just want to get uh, an insight. Some odd, like when you're going through all that, especially, you know, like from you know, from the looking posts of 2021, it seems like that was, you know, growing up in the 60s in the middle of integration seems really far off and just seems like a different world, um, especially with such a momentous change happening at the time. So how did you, I'm just thinking, who did you lean on for support in that time? Or is it just something that you just like, you know, persevered through? Or did you like have someone to like well, talk to? Yeah, well, my friends, but you know, they were going through the same thing too. Um, but the school was the closest to our house. So that's why, I, and my friends said they were going to go. And I didn't think about it at the time that we weren't going to be riding the bus together. And so I knew my parents couldn't take me to school and I wasn't going to walk because it was like seven miles away. So um, I knew I had to ride the bus. So I knew I was going to do what I had to do uh, because I really didn't have another choice. All my choices were taken away. So I dealt with it the best that I could. But I, I was so unhappy. I, It's like, you know, I dreaded going to school because I knew I'd have that bus ride. Mm. But I, I felt fortunate in, in retrospect um, because a lot of things, a lot of bad things really could have happened, but they did not. Mm. I'm sure. glad that uh, you were able to get through that, Aunt Gwen. I am too, and I, I just feel like, you know, because that, that would drive some people to have an emo emotional breakdown because you're not around anybody else that looks like you or that will talk to you or have anything to do with you. And, um, you know, it's it's not easy being a pariah or being the object of scorn and ridicule. And, you did, and I was 13 years old, mm. so it's like, wow. Oh, so before thirteen, it was all you were in all black schools. Yeah, mm. yeah, oh yeah, and it's it's and, and you, you had your own set of bullies and people who were trying to take advantage of you, even you know in an all black school. But yeah. it's it's different when nobody takes up for you, nobody advocates for you, nobody talks to you. You're just out there on your own. Mm. All by yourself. No mom, no dad, no sister, nobody. There weren't any other black children at the school at all. No, on the bus. They were the at bus. the school. But oh, okay. we were still we were still in the minority. Um, yeah, that's a, but still that's a long bus ride, especially in the you know, middle yeah. of the sixties. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even gonna talk about the Ku Klux Klan rally in front of the house. <laughs> oh, well, I feel like Pandora's box just got opened up, though. I mean, that yeah. does classify for a tough time. It ain't good for one's heart rate. No. <laughs> no, it, it really was not. But I think when you're a child, when you're a teenager, and you're surrounded by supportive parents and grandparents and neighbors and friends and church family, that that does something to you. It builds a certain strength within you because you know that you're loved and you know that people are going to take care of you 
and yeah, you feel like someone's got your back. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we knew that it didn't matter that whether I was their child or their neighbor or whatever, but I knew all of those people that and where I worked, all the black people and even some of the white people, they they meant no harm. They meant me no harm. They I, I never got the sense that anybody was going to hurt me. Never. Oh, I mean, I don't know if that's just the, you know, the innocence of childhood or whether or not people really would like were building you up and say like, we got you um, and we're going to take care of you. But either way, I'm glad that you felt like that, you know, growing up because it could have been the other way where you were just like so scared. And then the, the fear that would affect your, you know, your learning, you know, capacity in the classroom. And then that spills over to way more other stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, Alex, you're going to share your tough times. Cause I know you've been through some things. Oh yeah. I've had, I've had a, well, there have been two tough times. Everything else was just, you know, a challenge. I would say my my first tough time. Okay, the first big tough time I'll say was was definitely after my parents got divorced, and not because they got divorced. And I called Dad. I told him I was going to talk about this. Like, so, <laughs> yeah. I would never bring this up in an open forum without talking to him first. Yeah. But, um, not because that they got divorced. I was fifteen, and if you had asked me when I was three years old if your parents were ever going to separate, do you know who you'd want to live with? I could have told you then. I mean, I love my mom. I still do. But there, to me, there is tough times, and then there is someone is actively trying to tear your world apart. Mm. And it's not, oh, this just didn't go my way, or I got laid off from a job, which has happened to me, or, you know, I have had to live without someone that I love. Mm-hmm. been through that this is someone is taking time and energy out of their day to make your day as miserable as it can get mm-hmm. so that would be a tough time and the way you felt about going to school uncle Gwen, mm-hmm. that's how i felt about going over to that house mm-hmm. like it was such a tough time uh, I, alex just to clarify which house Oh, the, the um the old house. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. I mean, I would barter with dad not to go over there. I'm like, look, I know that these are like the visitations that we've agreed to, but I really don't have it in me today. But at the time, I wasn't really telling him or anyone what was actually happening when I was going over there. Nothing physical, none of that weird stuff. But, um... I mean, she was a trained hostage negotiator. And I can say that every single tactic that she knew was used on me. So, mm. so to to go into that house and have the energy between you and someone that you've known your whole life mm-hmm. shift the entire dynamic of how you view that place, that's a pretty powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'm sure yeah. you loved school or you loved learning. I mean, mm-hmm. I've I've known you most of my whole life. You've always encouraged mm-hmm. us to learn. So I'm pretty sure that for you, Uncle Gwen, and correct me if I'm wrong, 
school was a place that you you loved it was like mm -hmm. oh it was i love it, learning it was. i mean yeah. you're an educator yeah so for that shift to happen to where you don't even like going to the school you don't like looking at the building mm -hmm. that's huge but yeah i would say that was the tough time mm. that was an interesting time <laughs> yeah i mean it seems like there's uh, some commonality between both stories where like you guys you know there's a bit there's like a place that you're you know supposed to go that you need to go to but like for whatever circumstances it's like you it's a place you don't want to go but you have to get there so i mean because one question i was going to ask you alex was um like when you were going through all of this uh, so it's this big change like who did you lean on um or what kept you what kept you afloat um you know to make sure to keep you in a place where like you're okay to still be in that place and not like you know no break or break down or anything oh i would say definitely family i mean some pivotal moments throughout that tumultuous time happened at jaw's house <laughs> mm. a couple of very serious phone calls uh you know jay for mm -hmm. whoever's listening that's aunt gwen's oldest son and adrian's brother my cousin um you know, just having stability, a routine. And while you have those things to lean on, you can be sitting in a room full of people and feel alone. Yes. Especially in my situation where as, as amazing as our family is and as loving and caring and attentive as we all are, we're all still very stern. But also, as much as I love y'all and I knew y'all love me, no one else in the family had gotten divorced. <laughs> so you have that layer on top of the what I was going through at the old house layer. And it's like, who do you talk to about this? Mm. But having that regularity and that routine of, you know, this is family. I can always, even if I don't want to talk about anything, I can just go over there and I can just, you know, relax yeah. and decompress. But I would say it's twofold. It's both having a support system, which is always helpful, but the thing that truly broke me free from just feeling low anytime I even thought about that place or would go over there and all the nasty things that were said and some things that are pretty dark was exercising my personal choice in the matter. You know, once I actually opened up to dad about, you know, what she was putting me through and some of the stuff like that, he said, you know, we had a real heavy conversation because he was under pressure from work. You know, she, she tried to get him fired and there was a whole bunch of things that came up and, <laughs> and he works for the federal prison. So, you know, I mean, things happen. So it seemed like, you know, his, his character was being attacked and once that fort couldn't be breached. Mm. She turned to the avenue that she thought could be breached, which was me. Mm. So when I finally opened up to him and told him some of the things that were going on, he looked at me and said, look, I don't care about what the court's saying. I don't care about what the judge says. I don't care what the lawyer says. You don't ever have to sit there and let somebody talk to you like that. And I was like, well, what, you know, what are we going to, what am I supposed to do? 
you know, I'm 15. He was like, look, walk out the house. <laughs> he goes, mm. if it gets bad, nowhere is it written that you have to stay there. So it was this whole thing of before that I had had this very naive and innocent look at the world of there's this structure and you trying to operate outside of that structure is frowned upon mm-hmm. and you can't do that. So in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, no matter how terrible this is, she's still my mom. I have to have some level of respect there. In one day, she was just doing the normal thing, screaming at me while I was sitting down. I mean, we're talking like hours, like this would happen. <laughs> mm. And I just sit there. I mean, it was really a test of will. And one day I just said, you know what? I don't have to listen to this. So I got up, I stood up and I told her, um, if you keep talking to me like this, I'm going to walk out of the house. And I said it calmly. I didn't say it with any hate in my heart. I just looked at her and said, this is what it is. And then she tried to get in between me and the door. And I said, like, I love you. And I'm not going to put my hands on you. But if you keep talking to me like this, I'm going to walk out of the house. And she starts berating me. And she's trying to pull me back in. And I'm just like Terminator 2, the T-1000. I'm just making my way to the door. (laughs) And I open the door. And when I tell you, that's the first time I ever felt what people describe as freedom. Hmm. Wow. Was that no matter, and that's why it's, it's, it's amazing having a support system, especially one with as much depth and love and care as, you know, I'm fortunate to be a part of, which is y'all and everyone else in our family. But without that self-belief, that Mm -hmm. you can make that hard choice Mm -hmm. that you can go to sleep and feel confident that whatever tomorrow brings you're going to handle that Mm -hmm. that's a beautiful thing and i think that it really really is mm -hmm. and i think one thing that helped me um on that bus was that my bus driver told my mother she said don't worry about it miss howard i'm not gonna let anything happen to her and i believed the bus driver for whatever reason because I felt like, you know, I'd never known anybody to lie to my mom. So mm. I just I just felt like these were these women would not allow anybody to hurt me. So mm. well, and so I guess that kind of tempered my desire to, to get off the bus or, you know, not to ride the bus or go through that. Because yeah. I, I just felt like nobody was going to hurt me because they because that's what the bus driver said. And that's, it was OK. Well, also, uh, I was just thinking, was the bus driver black? No. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> no, I told you I was the only black child, a black female, a little skinny black female, uh, wearing glasses all by myself. I was the first person to get on the bus. Uh, she had her son would ride the bus. So I actually was the second person to, you know, as a passenger. And um, I was the last person to get off. So... It was, it was really, mm, I just thought, this is so hard. Why me? Nobody else, none of my other friends, all my other friends are riding together. Nobody else is, is going through this. And I'm sure that was not true, but, you know, I just felt like that. Yeah, um, you just feel alone. Yeah. Yeah, you do. So but. through um, both of these experiences, um, I'll go to you, Ma, and then go to Alex. 
like what did you learn about yourself like when you got through it because i mean eventually in school it seems like you just found like the the self-reliance and resiliency to persevere the you know the the teasing and the just the isolation at school Mm -hmm. um but what did you learn about yourself through that well i've i've found out that um i can be emotionally strong and i can deal with um people not liking me, people not talking to me for whatever reason. And I was just amazed that I felt sorry for them. I felt like you're missing go knowing a great person. And I just felt so sad for them. And I was amazed that I felt sad for them. Right. Because I imagine, I mean, especially these days when people come across like explicit marginalization or ostracized, mm-hmm like when people are explicitly being mean or bullying, mm-hmm. like the impulse is just to like, you know, meet uh, anger with anger and mm-hmm. like kind of lash out or at least mm-hmm. show them that like, you know, this ain't going to be tolerated. I'm not going to take no shorts, none mm-hmm. of that. But like you felt just pity for them. It's- I did. And that that was weird. So um, I went through a lot of different emotions, uh, but I didn't hate them. Hmm did not hate them, um, really didn't get mad at them. Just, you know, I sat there and read my books and kind of toned them out, whatever they were saying. That The first time I ever heard Della Rhyme about uh, if you're uh, brown, stick around. If you're black, get back. But if you're white, you're all right. I had never heard that in my life. And I'd never been called, you know, N-word um, by white people. So it was, it was kind of foreign to me. I mean, I've... I just was like gathering data almost like, wow, well, then why are you saying this? What, what, you know, what, what do you mean? Why, why are you being mean to me? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like did uncle, like the uncle, cause for those who don't know, my mom has a brother and a sister. We call uh-huh. him, his name is Ernest. So we call him uncle bruh and his sister is, and their sister uh-huh. is Janice. Um, but did Uncle Brad and Aunt Janice, did they go through anything similar to that? Or is this more something that was more u- unique to you? I'm the oldest, so um, it was unique to me. I was the first one to go into that setting because the next year, everybody, you know, they were on the bus, too. And, you know, it was all integrated the next year. Mm-hmm. But that first year, mm-mm. oh wow, it was just me because I was in the eighth grade and mm-hmm. Uh, my sister, she was still in, in um, elementary school. That time it was like K through seven. Yeah. And um, then, you know, because my brother was still in elementary school. So because I was, at that time, eighth grade was high school. And so because I was going to high school and I was just so excited and it was just so disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> So, Alex, can you share with us the the same thing that that he was asking about? What did you learn about yourself? Yeah, coming out of that, what did you learn about yourself? That people are resilient Mm -hmm. and that confidence speaks volumes, but it really is important to believe in yourself. Because other people's belief in you and all of it in the world won't won't make you meet the task. It's kind of like Neo in the Matrix. He said, I can only show you the door. See, even if you have a loving 
support system or just some friends that y'all have known for a long time, that y'all have always had each other's back. They can be rooting you on and encouraging you all day. But if you don't take the step across that threshold, you're still going to be on the outside mm-hmm. envious of what is within reach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And, and I've learned too that they can't feel your pain. They can empathize with you or sympathize with you. And you know how people say, I know how you feel. Or, I can imagine how you feel. Mm. But when you're hurting and when you're in pain and when you're going through a tough time, you've got to do something yourself to stop the, you know, sometimes you got to pl- apply your own bandaid, your own tourniquet. You got to do something to stop the, the bleeding. Yeah. Um, so like you said, you got to go through that door. You got to ask for help. You got to tell somebody, you got to talk to somebody, you got to seek assistance. And, you know, well, I mean, I think that's a, it's an interesting point you raised there, Ma. Cause I mean, yeah, people need to find that trigger or something that gets them out of that. I don't want to say victimization, but when you're going through a tough time, mm-hmm. it just feels like you're like, to me, it's it's like there's a sense of um, self-pity that, mm-hmm. that goes on there. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah. this this really sucks. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm going through it. Woe is me. I've got a rain cloud following me around. Mm-hmm. And like, like sometimes you have to find something that like something meaningful that like breaks you out of that cycle to that helps you just move forward. You know, um, did you do y'all have like specific mechanisms or like, um, I don't know, like items or just rituals that you do to help get you out of that funk? I'm thinking positive self-talk. You, you got to talk to yourself. You know, they said, what, speak to the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you you got to tell yourself, I can do this. And I used to tell myself every day, I can do this. I got to do this. I don't have a choice. Um, so because I didn't have a choice and I had to do it, I did it. Um, I was... Every day I would try to think, oh, I'm going to get sick. Uh, I, I can't go to school. You know, I've got a stomachache, a headache. Or, um, I, I don't want to do this. I just don't want to do this so bad. But then I thought, but none of that. I knew my mother, so I knew none of that was going to work with my mom. <laughs> so, um, you know, those those plans kind of fizzle out real fast. So I thought, well, I've, I've got to do it. So let me try to figure out. How I can do this the best way I can do it. So, kind of keeping me from saying anything or you know staring at anybody or starting something. I would read. I I, I immerse myself in literature. I love to read. So, I think books help me make it through that tough time. Mm. Just just sitting there reading on the bus. Nice, and that's clearly translated. Uh, you know through. Well, I feel like that ritual is kind of carried over. I mean, not saying we're going through a, a tough time like when we were growing up. I mean, three kids, you know, that's that's tough enough. But I mean, oh. I do remember late nights, um, and we weren't the easiest kids. But uh, I do remember, you know, before we go to bed, it was like mom was always reading something um, like sci-fi or you know, romance, some type of literature. Like before you would go to sleep, there was always like a book by your bedside. And I think that <laughs> that translated over, you know, to us as well, because at least to me, because I I love um, to read as well. You know, I don't do enough of it, but I love at least growing up. I loved reading and yeah, getting well, back I used into to, it now. Yeah, I used to read to you. 
Yeah. You made sure we all had library cards and yeah. trips to the library. And when those book bears came around, we were ready. Because you used to always make sure we got an educational VHS, too. Like, <laughs> it couldn't just be a movie. And I'd be like, hey, do you think we get a movie? Be like, yeah, mama let us get a movie, but we got to watch something educational, too. So I was like... <laughs> Okay, oh, we can bite that bullet for Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. Yeah. Well, y'all were like stair steps though. I mean, I had three kids in two years and and you know, one set of twins and y'all only y'all were only seventeen months apart and I mean y'all were just like a little tribe. It was yeah. That was tough. Uh, believe me, that was tough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, yo! You can join us next for the the extension when we go into another series of surviving tough times, pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we want to even talk about that. Yeah. Okay. With a sub conversation on neonatal care. Right. <laughs> oh well, it was tough because one of you was delivered, and then um, yeah, Andre was breach. Yeah, so I delivered one regular. And then had to have a C-section. So that was tough, honestly. I'm yeah. telling you, you, you were there. You might not remember it, but you were there. <laughs> he remembers this guy. <laughs> yeah. But... So what what devices did you use, Alex? Let's see, devices. So, so we're talking like a. a almost like a mantra or practice or something to try yeah, to get like, through a tough it, time yeah like a mantra or practice like was it basketball was it you have like a favorite cd or did you just like talk Music, to friends yeah. or you know what you use to is like a i don't know like a platform to to like get you over the hump or just get you you know to the to the next step i would say taking a step back and looking at the big picture mm-hmm. mm. i i mean once i I cut that visitation short myself by walking out of the house. I mean, I was just walking down the street. I took that old Nokia, the most reliable phone I've ever had in my life and probably ever will have. And I called dad and I said, hey, so I need you to pick me up. I cut it short. He goes, what happened? I said, I kind of don't want to talk about it right now, but you'll see me walking up the highway. Because I was walking up 56. Like at this point when I called him, I had been walking for like 15 minutes. So I was already off the road on 56, walking back towards, you know, Butner. I was just, I, it was almost this weird liberating feeling. But when I get in those moments, I, I take a step back and I try to keep the, the, the issue or problem in a small level. Cause when you're in something, it's easy to feel like you're trapped in it. Yeah. And really you have to ask yourself, Am I encountering an obstacle that was placed before me? Or did I build this wall Mm. to try and insulate myself from what I thought was out there when really there are no walls? Like I can move freely in each of these these directions with whatever decision I'm going to make. And while it may not be the best decision, it is yours to make. So seldomly does failure just fall on your head Mm-hmm. You know, there are signs given to you throughout, you know, small little things. And it, it might show itself in a stranger or someone you know or 
kind of like you'll have a let's say Aunt Gwen, you have a conversation with Adrian, and you hear him say a word, like I don't know, it could be like dilapidated, and mm-hmm. then that same day you read an article that distinctly uses that word in the heading, and you go, that's interesting. I don't hear that word often, but Adrian said it. Here's the article, and then you see it somewhere else. So I remind myself that. One, I've been through something worse than this before. <laughs> mm, yeah. Especially that, like at 15, like the next hard time that I can really call a hard time was when I was 22. So mm. it's a nice long gap. And positive reinforcement, like you mentioned, Aunt Gwen, having a macro view. Like then you're like, wait, hold on. Okay, I'm 15. While this is absolutely terrible, I can just get through each day. And by the time I'm 16, this is going to be mostly behind me. And then now you think about it, like how many of your high school days do you remember? So having been past it, reflecting, you know, at the time, it feels like an eternity. It never feels like it's going to end. But time is one of those things that pushes on. And you have to learn how to march along with it. Some people step out of sync with time or they're trying to run backwards. But if you can move harmoniously with it, with what's changing in your life, you can more easily navigate those obstacles. Mm. Wow. Well, I mean, yeah, that's keeping a big, keeping out of the big picture is, is huge. And it's, I guess it's hard um, to, to keep because i mean i feel like in moments growing up uh similar to you like I, it's when you're going through that tough time it's 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 easy to like it's hard to see the uh force of the trees you know so keeping an eye on the big picture definitely helps i mean it doesn't obliterate what's in front of you but it gives perspective i think that's one of the biggest things that you know it sounds like that that helps you know steal you or let you know that like you can get past this is like in the big picture this isn't the the biggest or the final obstacle I'm ahead. Yeah. Um Tom Tom will take care of a lot of things, but like you said, sooner or later this is it's gonna end. It, it's not gonna last forever. And so every day I would say, you know, it's it's I've come farther than than I've, you know, had to go. Uh, you know, it's like when you're starting out at the beginning of the year and then when you get halfway, you know, to the December mark and then it's like, okay, we got about four more months of this and then four more days. You know, I was counting down. Mm. It was like I was marking days on the calendar um, when this was going to end. It felt like it would never end, but it did end. And I think I'm, I'm a better person for it. Um, yeah. I, I really do, but... Uh, it's kind of like that old song people used to sing, trouble don't last always. Hard times, tough times don't last always. Just like this this situation with this virus, uh, it seems like it's never going to end. And every day it's a new variant or it's a new development or something else awful is happening. But yeah. it's going to yeah. end. It's no, it is. End. And I feel like there's there's a little, there's light at the end of the tunnel at the very yes. least. I mean, yeah, yeah. Because with the whole the vaccine thing i mean honestly like the i don't know it's august 2021 right now but we're, we've seen similar numbers to where we were last year but in like 
no one's like saying the sky is falling because we have like you know available remedies right now and i think this time next year you know i don't think i think covid will still be in the picture but i think we'll be in a spot to where we can navigate it a little bit more easier than we do now so um yeah yeah i think we'll we'll be okay as long as we put one foot in front of the other yeah but you gotta you gotta have that mindset like yeah. it's gonna get better this this isn't the end all and be all it's, yeah. it's gonna get better uh and sometimes you just lose hope i mean you just get tired yeah yeah it is um sometimes you do get tired um because i mean i forgot the name of the word but i know it's a phenomenon where like the nurses working in you know the er's they get like a it's battle fatigue yeah compassion and I forget is, the name of the Is word. it indifference? Indi- no. It's like indifference, but it's like uh like they just come across it so often, like the compassion and like the, the warmth that they usually have is just whirled away because they've just been through it so long that the you know, the their resiliency stores are kinda of out of stock. So but I think yeah, as long as you can keep your eye, keep that perspective and you know, you have that mantra or that vision that like keeps you moving towards the you know, the brighter end, then like yeah. I think, you know, we'll be okay. Oh definitely. So, so like the closing question, uh, because I think we're coming close to the end of our time here. Uh so looking back at your experiences. You know, if you got into a time machine, let's say it's a DeLorean or it's a, you know, a telephone booth and you go back to the, that, <laughs> you go back to that experience um, as an adult, but you see your, your younger self, you know, going through it with the black cloud falling around. What's a piece of advice that you would give to yourself in that moment? I'll defer to you on Gwen. I wouldn't throw the paper back and hit people with it because um, I'm doing to somebody else what somebody did to me. And it doesn't feel good to just, you know, get picked on or to be targeted, even if, even if somebody does that to you. So I wouldn't throw the paper and um, I would just uh, endeavor to persevere and just you know, maintain a positive mindset. Um, and not to play devil's advocate, but do you think your 13-year-old self will be receptive to that message? Yeah, yeah. I I would be receptive to that because I, I, I know how it feels. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I would. Um, but, you know, when you're a kid, you don't think, like, you know, you throw a rock at me, so I'm going to throw a rock back at you, you know? Yeah. Then you probably shouldn't throw rocks. True. <laughs> well, we did grow up in the South. Um, I have actually thrown rocks to have fun. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I mean, so, you know, someone gets hit, you take a break, and then you ain't got no toys. You go outside, you start throwing rocks again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> hey man, some people might not believe it, but hey, I have, you know, sticks and rocks. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. 
rocks or grenades in a child's mind. Yeah, you know, we're creative. Y'all were some creative kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Once you learn how to skip those rocks, forget about it. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay, but for Alex, um, yes, yeah, so same question. Um, let's see, time machine, DeLorean, you know, go back to the time where you're, you know, underneath it. Uh, what advice would you give yourself? Um, before I go in, there is another third method of time travel that is pretty cool. I don't know <laughs> if y'all have seen it in the movie. It's called About Time. It mm. is really good. Um. The way that he did it there was it was in his family's genes uh-huh. and you just had to go to a dark place, squeeze your hands really tightly and think about the place that you want to be. And when you open your eyes, you'll be there. But anyways, excellent movie. If I were honestly, I don't know if I would tell myself anything. Hmm. I learned so much. And sometimes I feel like the way we learn things is as impactful as what we learn. Matter of fact, I'm going to change that. Not sometimes. The way we learn things is equally impactful to what we learn. Mm -hmm. So I might just go back and watch it and just have that blended feeling of feeling sad for this young kid who's going to be going through this stuff, but knowing on the other side, like, no, you don't even realize how this is going to help you yet. But it was mm-hmm. immediate, like mm-hmm. at 15. Like that moment, walking out that door, I wouldn't trade that for anything. And it was mm-hmm. terrible like, leading up to it. <laughs> but that moment, just freedom mm-hmm. of my choice, mm-hmm. that no one could tell me what I had to do. I mean, mm-hmm. I had parents, obviously, but it's like when you feel like you're getting just boxed in, reminding yourself that I can create this door. And it won't be from animosity or anything. I can just create this door and change my situation. A lot of people don't feel like that, but right. So just go back and watch. So if you change your thoughts, like you said, something about you squeezing him really hard, and you think about where you want to go, and I think that that's that's what both of us did. We we changed our thought pattern because. I physically could not change my situation. So I had to change my thoughts. I've redirected them into the the literature and you redirected yours into physical activity. I mean, you actually got up and walked out. So, yeah. It's all mental though. I completely agree with you. Exactly. It's, it's, and, and I was just thinking how some people get suicidal and emotional and depressed and, because these situations, they will affect you physically. And I'm sure they did. Um, but but we dealt with that too. Um, so you build your own resiliency. Yeah. Because you want to survive. You have to survive. Yeah. And that's the thing that I think powers us through is it is not in our nature to just sit down and take whatever it is if you have an option to change it be it you know mentally you can reframe what's going on while not losing touch of the reality of what's going on you can reframe it 
So it's like, oh, I didn't mm -hmm. see this this way, and now this makes a little more sense to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I like this song. I get a vibe with a little help from my friends. And oh, who sang that song? The Beatles. Oh, well, <laughs> I don't know the whole catalog. <laughs> Can you name 10 songs? <laughs> I could name six. Okay. If I were to say Yellow Submarine doesn't count, would you say you could name five? <laughs> I could name six. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Help. I need some help. Not just anyone. I don't even know the words of that song. But, um, so yeah, I think uh, to close it out, um, I'd like to thank my two co-hosts for joining me today, Mom, Alex, we, uh, and you, the listener. I want to thank you guys for you know kicking it with the Russells. Uh, I made a great decision to you know come out and hang out with us, get a little perspective on you know surviving turf times. So. Um, yeah. Uh, any any thoughts, Mom or Alex, before we uh, go ahead and end it off today? No, it's it's a it's it's in your head. It's a head game. You to survive tough times, you gotta you know think. Um, you gotta change your thoughts. Hmm. Yeah. Along the lines of that, I would say that whatever loneliness you're feeling, it's an illusion. Mm hmm. You, yeah. you you may have come across people to help bring validity to that illusion because maybe they try to take advantage of you or mm -hmm. maybe you're getting bullied or whatever it is, but you're not going through it alone. Mm -mm. Reach out. Tell somebody. Talk to somebody. Yeah. And, and people want to help you. Um, people yeah. want... Some people will be nice to you. You'd be surprised. Um, help is there always yeah mm -hmm. i just think it's up to i mean when you're going through it it's just give yourself space and grace and time to actually like recognize you know that you know one this it may be bad but um you know it's going to get better but then also i can find help yeah know? yeah so um again thanks for coming through and uh we'll catch you on the next one okay peace my voice is deep too <laughs> <laughs>